0: So I did something today for the very last time. Whenever we record this podcast, I always get my computer and check the card in the Zoom recorder to see if it has last week's show on it and make sure that I've actually copied off last week's show before I format the card before we record. And so I got my computer and I went and got my little USB-C SD card reader so that I could actually pull the footage off because my computer doesn't have an SD card slot that's something that i've done for the last time
1: do you really think you're going to have your computer fully set up and ready to go for next for the next editing session
0: i think so well i mean i'm not saying that i won't use this computer anymore before then but i'll probably have it set up by next week when we record this podcast again
1: so that's pretty exciting yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh man when when is when is it when's it coming it's coming
0: tomorrow night Not that, not that long to wait.
1: Do you want? Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you what you have coming?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So I ordered an M1 Max 16 inch uh, Apple laptop. Yeah, MacBook Pro. I got the top end M1 Max, so it has 10 core uh, CPU and 32 core GPU.
1: Is that that's the top end? I thought there was a. Oh yeah, that's right. On the M1s, the, it is. But the yeah. 24 core is the smaller. Mm-hmm. And
0: is there one below that too? No. No, so I mean they have the M1 Pro, but for the M one Max, it's either twenty-four or thirty-two okay. uh GPU cores. And then I got sixty-four gigs of RAM and two terabyte SSD. Wow, oh, so you like
1: you like got the top end of, of the max option.
0: I mean it could have gone could have gone farther. You know, it could have done four terabytes. Well sure, or eight but terabyte. like not
1: upgrading storage. You got the most RAM most cores. Yep. I thought there was one mm-hmm. above that for some reason. No, I think it's, I think it's I it. I mean I feel like then in that case you got a pretty good deal on that computer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's uh, that's gonna be good. Mm -hmm. uh, All those extra cores are gonna help out a lot. Yeah, a lot of the resolve stuff is very Mm -hmm. parallelized.
0: Yeah, I was looking it up, and the M1 Air that we both have right now Mm -hmm. has four performance cores and four efficiency cores for the CPU, and then eight GPU cores. And the M1 Max has ten total CPU cores, of which I believe eight performance and two or efficiency oh wow
1: so you're gonna get faster faster performance in general mm-hmm. but like any of those gpu stuffs, is going to be easily four times faster yeah. not accounting for the extra ProRes encoder
0: mm-hmm. and the uh the increased memory bandwidth yeah so oh geez yeah. yeah so something to look forward to on this show will be yeah. us doing way too many comparisons between the m1 air and the m1 max um doing doing resolve tests that's gonna
1: be uh Pain- painful for me yes because yes. i don't feel like buying a new computer right now <laughs> even though i really want a new computer and oh geez yep that thing's gonna be so fast i'm curious how the battery life is gonna be for you that'll be yeah pretty, uh, indicative for me as well
0: yeah yeah i'm also curious about that the battery is literally twice the size of the one in the air which is so freaking it's, big it's, it's 100 like, watt hours instead of 49.9 9. like
1: 99.6 watt hours it probably is yeah
0: because airplanes but yep but obviously it uses more power and all that so we'll see Welcome back to the Camera Gear podcast. I'm Daniel and I'm Lucas and we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video.
1: Okay, let's get into it. All right. Do I don't got? I don't think I put the first the first topic on here. I think you did.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that is, that is correct. It looks like the kind of topic that
1: I would put on here. (laughs) It really, it really does.
0: (laughs) And I saw this and I said, Lucas is going to be really interested in this and he's going to want to talk way too long about this on the show. And so I put it in, but basically on this show, we talk a lot about super 35. I think you're constantly trying to justify that you bought an APS-C camera. And so you'd like to say that APS-C slash super 35 is like the one true cinema frame size and that seems to be your big deal. Do you disagree?
1: <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry, officer. <laughs> you caught me right-handed. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Mm. Um, no, I mean, if you're taking photos, thirty-five millimeter, I mean that's that's traditional, right? Full frame. But if you're shooting if you're shooting video, you're shooting cinema. You got to turn that 35 sideways. <laughs> I'm just saying, Super 35 is the way God intended movies to be filmed. And that is the true full frame when it comes to cinema. And if you go bigger than that, you're in large format. I'm just saying.
0: Well, well, as, as outlandish as this statement sounds, it seems like RED agrees with you. So the news is that RED has... So two of their cameras are the V-Raptor and the V-Raptor XL, which, which have existed previously, and they've come with an 8K full-frame sensor.
1: Those came out roughly one year ago, mm-hmm. around September, no, eh, November-ish, 2021. 8K, 120 frames per second. Just monsters of camera, but not to be confused with the red monsta, monster, monster, monster. Yeah,
0: which is a different camera.
1: Different camera, but pretty impressive yep. set of cameras here.
0: Yeah, so those, those have been out, and what they just announced is that in addition to offering that 8K full-frame sensor, they're also going to offer an 8K Super 35 sensor.
1: Nice. Games. I was trying to find some more information about this as if the Super 35 is going to enable more things.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure on that either. I mean, it's it seems like it's basically the same sensor, but in a smaller package. Like it's still 8K, right? but it's Super 35.
1: And I think some of the question here was, why Why would you do this when you could just crop in on mm-hmm. the smaller sensor? Yeah, why, you,
0: why would you possibly want a smaller sensor when the camera is already offered with a larger sensor? Exactly. And so
1: I think that the argument here is that 8K full width, if you want the width to be Super 35 at 8K, because uh, if you're going to shoot on the large format Raptor at 35 millimeter width, and that's not the width, but 35 millimeter, then it's going to be, you know, 6k when you're your right in. and if you need full 8k mm-hmm. at super 35 then
0: yeah you're kind of out of luck and so uh, apparently like the the original draw for this was wildlife videographers and if you remember they had that red camera a while back that came in white yep and it was I mean, that was this that was this camera That was this That's camera raptor yeah and it was called like the rhino edition and uh-huh. it came in white so and cool. that version of it was APS-C or super 35 rather. oh really yeah And so, and that was, that was kind of like why that was a special edition because Mm -hmm. they made that for wildlife photographers. Right. And so I guess that must've been a successful experiment or they found out that more people wanted it. And so now it's just a normal part of the lineup. You can't get it in white anymore, but you can get those cameras with that same sensor.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of these vintage lenses that you're going to shoot on, like if you're trying to shoot on um, some, I guess their Panavisions are full frame, but like some Panavisions and cooks and basically there's more, there's more lens and cinematic glass for, super 35 because yep. that's been what everyone has shot on for the longest mm-hmm. time and so i guess you know maybe these people are like i'm tired i want to be able to shoot 8k but i want to be able to use these lenses they i got, think that's they got to meet the market where it is which is at a super 35
0: yeah apparently so
1: mm-hmm. i think that's pretty cool i was trying to figure out if there was a there was like maybe some more information as far as if the sensor is going to perform any different mm-hmm. it sounds like it's going to be the exact same performance as the current v raptor just a smaller sensor size which cool. But like the Arri 35 that just came out, that one has more dynamic range than any of their large format cameras. Huh. And that's because you can read out more information off the sensor faster.
0: Sure. That makes sense. And
1: the processor in the V-Raptor is really, really good. And so I'm like, does that mean they could do more with the Super 35 version? Like, could it have more dynamic range?
0: Yeah. Interesting. I don't,
1: I don't know. I mean, like, there's not, nothing that was released as far as this you know says one way or the other. Yeah, it's like 17 plus stops of dynamic range, which is basically what the uh, the full frame full frame large format V Raptor does. Mm-hmm. So like it sounds like it's not going to be any different, but it seems like there could be potential for it to be better.
0: Well, let's wait and see. I guess maybe and some of that stuff could be a firmware update. They might be able to do something and improve it. I don't know. Uh,
1: I mean, they're all they're always working on those uh, those firmwares, releasing them weekly and stuff. So
0: this is really cool. Yeah, I am kind of curious about the
1: lens mount on this. I think it's you can swap out the mount
0: on... I did not look into it to see that.
1: Yeah, I didn't look at it quite enough. I think when I was reading through this, that they said that on one of these, you could change out the mount type. But by default, the V-Raptor ships with an RF mount.
0: Yeah, that's pretty and, interesting. I don't know. I've, I'm kind of curious. Kind of a curious. weird choice, really. I'm kidding.
1: Well, I like everything before that was EF. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of just followed Canon into RF. And I'm curious if... They're going to stay with it. Like I would wonder if Red would ever switch to like PL.
0: I would think that Canon having the RF mount be closed would be a problem for them.
1: I would think so too. It's not, I mean, they're using somebody else's mount size. They can't, they can't ship their own lenses, not the Mm -hmm. Red makes lenses, but they're basically, you're stuck with RF ecosystem, which there aren't any RF cinema lenses. You basically have to adapt it. And that feels really
0: weird. Now, I know on the Blackmagic cameras, like the URSAs that we use sometimes, I know that those have a changeable mount where you can use a PL mount or a EF, and, and maybe they have other options too. Do these have that ability? Can you just swap out the mount?
1: I would be surprised if you couldn't. I'm going to actually ask the internet here. Red V Raptor change mount to PL.
0: We'll see what ChatGPT says about Oh, this. I
1: should look it up on ChatGPT. Oh, wait, I don't have ChatGPT. The, the Bing one. I have the Bing one. That's totally different. Anyway,
0: there's an adapter. Well, of course there is. I mean, because you can adapt RF to EF. I'm sure you could do that. But I wonder if you can just physically change out the mount.
1: I don't know. We'll have to look and see. You know, yeah. Maybe maybe there'll be some sort of um, continuation of this topic on a future episode where we think back on this conversation and then give people an update
0: for it. Well, I'm sure you're going to think back fondly on RED supporting Super 35. Yep.
1: Yeah, I will. But anyways, like any, most most cinema stuff, your lenses, you can change the mount out on them. Most cameras, you can change yeah. out the mount so that you can, yeah. it doesn't like really, really matter because like, you're just going to pair it all to manual anyways. So I'm sure there's something, mm-hmm. but I do feel, it does feel weird. Yeah. That red is is tied into RF. I guess like they don't want to have to make their own lenses, but I feel like they would buy Like, why not go PL?
0: Yeah. I would have thought PL would be the right choice, but no, maybe know. maybe
1: it's like shorter flange distance. And so yeah. if you're adapting, it gives you more, more leeway of like, you can go to this from all kinds of things. Could be. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, pretty neat. Super 35 for the win. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about something that's not 35, but kind of related. What is it? New RF uh, 16 millimeter 2.8 lens. Oh,
0: okay, so that's a perfect thing to pair with your, uh, with yeah, your new Yeah, you can slap this
1: $270 lens on your $20,000
0: Raptor. That's probably why they use RF mount. Yeah. that way you can you can get that camera and then you can get into the lenses for cheap
1: yeah the lenses are just an afterthought yeah at that
0: point well, what's the deal with this lens yeah so
1: this feels like a this is along the lines of canon's low-cost primes right you got the 85 millimeter you got this one the new this new 16 mil you got the 24 millimeter 2.8 there they have these less than 500 prime lenses you know good cheap lenses 50 millimeter 1.8 and you know I feel like this is all meant to pair with their lower cheaper cost offerings. So you sure. got like the Canon um, R R7, the R8, uh the R10. Mm-hmm. You know this could be this could be pretty good for those. So RP. Yeah, so but, many Rs. I mean, I don't I don't count the RP anymore. No, oh, okay. I mean, I guess it still exists, but I don't count It, it does seem like they're not releasing any APS-C lenses for RF mount. <laughs> like I guess that they have a mount for it, but they don't seem to be releasing any APS-C.
0: Yeah, cuz the uh I think the mount on the R 10 or the, the lenses are called like RFS lenses or something, right. but I mean, you can still use a normal RF lens.
1: Are there any RFS lenses? I think
0: there are. I'm pretty sure there's at least one or two, but it is kind of weird that they're not offering something like this in that APS-C size. You would think they would get some cost savings from doing that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems to me like most people are going to pair this with some one of their APS-C cameras now that they have them, mm-hmm. but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's meant to go on to like an R8 as well.
0: Well, and it could also be an upgrade path thing. Like you get the APS-C camera because it's cheap, and you don't want to spend a lot of money. You buy a couple of these cheap primes, but then whenever you want to switch to a, like a more expensive camera, when you want to get an R8 or you know maybe even like an R6 or something, then you can still use some of those same lenses. That's I'm finding that's reasonable, I think.
1: One RFS lens, and it's this eighteen to forty-five, four point five to six point three. Yeah. Oh, and here's another one, the eighteen to one hundred and fifty. Those are the ones that they released with mm-hmm. the uh, EOS are 50 Yeah, so those
0: are new. Yeah,
1: which are new. But I mean, what do you what do you think? Like this lens is $270. I mean, for what it is, 16 mil, that's your 24 mil equivalent on your uh APSC sensors, seems like a good price, seems like a decent lens. It's not too huge. Do you would you have a problem buying this for an APS C camera, even though it's a full frame lens? No,
0: I don't think so. I mean, for one thing, I can't really imagine it being much cheaper. I mean, if I think about why would I want Canon to make an APS C 16 mil lens? And really what I could think of would be size or cost. And I imagine this lens isn't that big. If it's a a prime and all that, it's probably not too large. And I can't really imagine it being that much cheaper. I mean, they're not going to sell a lens for $150. They're probably already selling this at a pretty low margin, pretty low price. And so I don't know. It seems reasonable to me. I wouldn't have a problem buying it.
1: Yeah. So I think is a pretty cool lens. It is, it's got seven aperture blades. So you're not, you know, it's not like a nine aperture blade, Boca Monster. It's 2.8. You're going to, most everything's going to be in focus, mm. especially at 16 mil. And uh, it only has one aspherical element. So probably not an issue with it being a 2.8 lens, but if it was any faster, you would probably get some spherical, ab- ab- mm. mm-hmm. spherical aberration. There we go, I said it. Uh like things like the like the Fuji 16 have like two-ace focal elements. If you go look at like the fancy pants zooms that Canon makes like the 15 to 30, that has three-ace focal elements plus Rockets cuz it has a zoom in it. So like one is maybe not super cool, but also this thing is $270 and it's a 2.8 lens. Yeah. So probably fine.
0: I think it sounds like a good entry-level lens. I mean, if anything the focal length is a little lacking because I guess at APSC that's basically like a 24 mil.
1: Yeah. But honestly, like 24 mil is your traditional wide angle. If you want something that's like, that's not fisheye, that's not super distorted, you can slap it on a full frame and get an ultra wide, which is cool. And I mean, I compare this to, because it's what I know, the 16 on the Fuji. And that one is neat in that it has a really short focus distance. And this is basically the same thing. It's actually even shorter. It has a 1.38 to 1 uh, magnification ratio when at minimal focal distance. Which is pretty good for a 16 millimeter lens, and what that equates to is like if you take out the the length of the lens and the flange distance, this thing will focus like almost an inch and a half from the glass. Wow, that's
0: pretty good. Yeah, right. it gets it gets right up in there, and that wide angle macro stuff can look pretty cool. So yeah, it's real,
1: real interesting. Like you can see everything behind it, but you get this low depth of field. So I think this is a pretty cool lens. It's something that's going to be good for people who are trying to fill out their if they're trying to fill out that lineup of you know basically APS-C. Like if you want the you buy the, like the 16 And the 24 and the 50. Yeah. And that's your, you know, 24, 50, 85 equivalent. And you can put that on your R7. And I mean, all those primes are, they're not super, super fast. They're like F2.8 or F2, but they're decent. So I
0: think this is, I think this is a good good addition. Honestly, anything Canon can do to get more sub five hundred dollar RF lenses, they need to do because that's been sorely lacking in their lineup.
1: Yeah, so I was looking at their lineup and I asked uh, Bing's chat AI to help me out with this. Oh, okay. And um, it fortunately found uh, two additional twenty four millimeter and two additional twenty eight millimeter lenses that Canon doesn't even make. Wow. So that's cool. I'm pretty sure that this is, it's just looking into the future. Uh And one of these days we'll be able to buy this 28 millimeter F 1.2 lens for $2,300. Oh, okay. Well, that's exciting. Not out yet. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It hasn't even been announced. Yeah. But according to Bing, it's coming. Trust the AI. Exactly. So anyway, you got the 16 mil. And so if you're looking for something else in this range, you can buy the cheap zoom, which is a 15 to 30 that's f4.5 to (laughs) f6.3 it's
0: not great but you could buy that but you probably shouldn't but okay 550 right not bad
1: uh your other options are the 15 to 35 f2.8 so same same f-stop but you get a zoom Mm -hmm. that's two thousand dollars or you can do the 14 to 35 f4 and that one's fifteen hundred dollars and this kind of brings me to the whole problem with the rf line right now Is like there's no mid tier yeah i feel like most of the stuff that people are going to buy from canon are going to be like I'm going to buy a $1,500 camera or a $2,500 camera, like an R6 Mark II or something. And if that's what you're buying, are you buying the zooms and the primes that are over (laughs) $2,000? Or are you buying the zooms and the primes that are under $500?
0: So you have a $2,500 camera. How mm-hmm. expensive is your most expensive lens?
1: Brand new, it's sixteen hundred, but I bought it for uh, nine hundred or something. Yeah. So it's about a thousand dollars for yeah. the high-end lenses.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess that's about where I'm at too, because mine would be the fifty to one forty, which is about fifteen or sixteen hundred new, and I got it for like nine hundred. Yeah,
1: and this is all—it's smaller, right? It's less glass mm-hmm. and sure. less complexity. It's APS-C. But if I compare this to something like Sony, and you go out I and mean, you buy a you know a fancy pants Sony camera, you want to be able to get those G masters that cost. $3,500. And those are competitive sure. with the high end RF. Those lenses have to exist and they're they're really good and they're really expensive for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I'm not arguing that, but like you can also go to Sigma and buy like, or even Sony and buy like the really cheap e-mount things that are made of plastic that are cost less than $500, which those are good too. But sometimes for like a prosumer level, to me, you need something in the middle. I would be happy, you know, if I'm shooting on a $2,500 camera, I want to be able to go out and buy a $1,000 to $1,500, I don't know, 24 to 70 mm-hmm. that is pretty good like maybe it doesn't have quite the chromatic aberration performance maybe the bokeh balls aren't quite as smooth and doesn't maybe have the same fallout the same contrast as something like the super high end but it's like it has a metal lens mount it's weather sealed has decent autofocus like i want something in that range that i would feel like is an upgrade over like a 2.8 prime but like rf just doesn't have that
0: yeah I mean, I agree. And the reason I asked my question is because you and I are obviously pretty into cameras and- You don't say. Yeah. And this is kind of the boat that we would be in, right? Like, you know, about the same price range for the camera purchase. And for me, I think I would buy a $1,500 lens if I felt like it was really what I wanted. But I I mean, I can't imagine buying a $2,000 lens right now.
1: Yeah. Like I would probably buy one of those like super expensive RF lenses if I was in the Canon world. Um, well you'd but, have to, right? Like yeah. what
0: else, what are you gonna do otherwise? But it's not ideal.
1: Yeah, like maybe the fifteen to thirty-five or the twenty-four to seventy, but one of those is gonna be like twenty eight hundred and one of those mm-hmm. is gonna be two thousand. Like maybe I would buy one of those, but then I would buy the cheap primes. I would buy the eighty five and I would buy the maybe the twenty-four, and I would be like, Man, I sure wish these were faster. But I don't want to go spend thirty two hundred dollars on an eighty five millimeter.
0: This is why when I when I owned an EOS R, I had the uh, RF to EF adapter and I I mean my primary lens for that camera was a EF mount 24 to 70. And it was because I could get it for a reasonable price. It was a Tamron, I think it was around eleven hundred or something. Great lens. Didn't have any complaints about it, but it was kind of a shame I couldn't get the RF mount one. I know it would have been sharper. It would have been a better lens, but I just didn't want to pay, you know, $2,300 or whatever for it.
1: Yeah. And then like it adds length to it. It adds weight. And it's like, it would be nice to be able to shoot. It's like that 20 millimeter flange distance on the RF lends to like, Better sharpness and sure. better image quality mm-hmm. because it's like less distance for the light to travel and like the diffraction and all that stuff is, is all just well improved. Yeah. And so like, you want to be able to take advantage of that, but you basically can't. Okay. So, like, the 85 is a perfect example of this. You can buy the F285RF, which is $550. Great lens, pretty decent f stop. And then, or you could buy the 85 1.2, which is $2,600. It's literally $2,000 more. And in EF, there was a 1.4 version. That was somewhere in between, or a 1.8 version, somewhere in between, right? Mm I mean, 1.4 to 2 is almost a whole stop.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's substantial. But
1: going from like 1.4 to 1.2 is also significant. And so, like, where's the $1,500 RF 85 1.4? Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Like, they chopped the whole middle range out, and they said, we can make those middle range people pay more and buy the pro stuff. And if they're not going to, then they can just have the cheap version. Yeah. And I just, I guess it's working for them, but it just, it feels like there's a gap.
0: I mean, I don't know if it's working or not. They have some compelling cameras now, but I mean, besides recently, it seems like a lot of people have been moving from Canon Mm -hmm. to Sony. So I think the jury's still out on whether it's working. Like
1: they're all moving from Canon to Sony, but then at the same time, whenever you look at the low end and you're like, wow, what is the best, you know, bang for my buck camera body? Well, geez, the R8's right there. The R6 Mark II is fantastic. And the R50 is probably the best budget camera you can buy right now and so they have these really really compelling camera bodies but the lens the lens is just too expensive or or too yeah
0: it feels like a left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing kind of situation Mm -hmm. because they're on one hand yeah they're releasing these great low-end camera bodies that we think are really compelling i mean i think in last week's episode when we talked about the um the best filmmaking cameras or whatever that was a few episodes ago we all kind of settled on canon and thought that was really like the best choice but then, yeah, you don't really have a good lens option.
1: Right. And it's like your filmmaking camera so like maybe you adapt and it's fine. I don't know. I just don't quite know what Canon's doing. I, we all want them to open up the mount. And maybe they'll do that eventually because of all the pressure. But yeah, I guess for them, it's a calculation of like, if we open up the mount, we're going to sell less lenses. But maybe they'll sell more cameras. Or maybe they'll then fill out the line with, you know, the $1,000 to $2,000 lens options.
0: Yeah, we can hope. I mean, maybe they're just, maybe that's just the last ones that they're getting to. Maybe they just haven't released them yet, but they they need to get on it. It makes me sound like I'm being a big giant baby of like,
1: oh, I don't want this 85 that only costs $550. I wish I could pay more for a lens. (laughs) Uh, Because, like, those lenses are really good. And they're right there, and they're decently priced. It's just for me, I feel like they could have compromised differently. Like I want slightly better build quality, I want weather sealing, Hmm. but I also don't want to spend twenty five hundred dollars on a lens. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, nothing about that (laughs) RF sixteen millimeter two point (laughs) eight. I think decent lens, good price. You know, way to go. Glad it's in the lineup.
0: Yeah, pretty cool. Well, let's talk about something that's not a normal camera manufacturer. So might remember that DJI has a cinema camera, the Ronin 4D. I don't know if we've talked about that much on this show. Not too much, but that came out how long ago? Maybe, maybe a year, maybe a little over a year ago. Yeah,
1: something like that.
0: Yeah, and you know, came out really cool. But I had kind of started to forget about it a little bit, I guess. And they recently came out with an update or a couple of updates that looked. Pretty cool and kind of brought it back into the limelight. A couple of people released videos on it. Thought it would be neat to talk about that update and then just kind of discuss what we think about that as a camera. So a couple of things they did. Uh, One is that they released an L mount adapter for it. So I think prior to this, they had their mount, which I think is like the DL mount or something, but basically DJI makes some lenses and they had a mount for those. And then they had a PL adapter.
1: By adapter, you mean like you can swap out the mount on yeah. the camera. It's not, yeah. you're not like just, you know, slapping an adapter on there. Right. You're changing the mount. Yeah. I'm looking at their site here. Obviously, they have the DL mount, which is the big DL. Uh, but they also have M mount. Uh, I don't know what that is. You can put E mount on it for all uh, your Sony lenses. I forgot about E mount. And then uh, now they have L mount.
0: Okay. So they don't have PL, but they had the E mount. And then now they have the L mount. Thought that was cool. Another camera using L mount good to see that
1: yeah that's great That that l mount alliance i mean i think i think we're gonna see a lot of cool stuff from that i was really down on it whenever you know it's like oh geez panasonic and sigma and, mm. and uh, uh what's that really good camera brand leica there you go yep it's like that. like okay fine It just feels like they're trying yeah, to compete like, with do, do you really need another mount oh geez yeah but i mean with now dji hopping on board it's gonna get good pretty yeah. quick yeah I you think just so. wait
0: and that, and, and with the uh, S5 uh, Mark II being so good, mm-hmm. I think that's going to also maybe spur some more lens development.
1: It'd be cool to start seeing some like DXO or Viltrox or, or Venus Optics lenses coming out for, for L mount. Yeah. Know, more kind of filling out some of that like geared cinema lens stuff, mm-hmm. but straight to L mount. I'd be into that.
0: I agree. So that was one thing they did. They had a couple of other little updates that we're not going to talk about because they're kind of boring You know, some stuff with like GPS or something. But who who cares about that? Yeah. Yeah. But the really cool thing they came out with was this new flex cable thing. So the way the Ronin 4D set up is you have the normal cinema camera body and then they basically have a gimbal on the front of it that has like a little lever arm thing so that you get four axes of movement and the lens sits on that gimbal. So you you basically have like a gimbal built into your camera. And they came out with this flex cable thing where now you can separate the gimbal from the camera body. So you could set the camera body on the ground and then have this cable that just has a camera lens on it and then a gimbal and it runs back to the camera body. And so it kind of lets you break up your camera into two pieces. And that's something that we don't really see. And it was pretty cool to see that.
1: But Daniel, why would you ever want to do that?
0: Well, yeah, that's a good question. And a couple of the people that made videos on it kind of showed some use cases for it. And it was kind of neat to see how how they actually used it in practice. So the one that I watched was from Make Art Now. And he was using it to do some real estate stuff. And so they have this backpack that you can get. I think they, DJI sells it, right? They right, sell DJI
1: a sells a backpack that's specifically built for the okay. body. So you can like Velcro the body into mm-hmm. it and then run the cable out yeah. to wherever your head I, is. I
0: feel like you could just throw it in a two bag. I sure, don't know why I need their backpack. But <laughs> regardless, he put this backpack on and then he had the gimbal thing with the camera on it. And he had it on the end of a long stick. And then he was just like running around in this house with this camera thing. And he was basically, it looked like he was flying a drone inside a house and he would push it through doorways and stuff and was getting these really cool shots. It would be really hard to do with a full on, you know, cinema rig, but it worked really well. And that was neat to see.
1: That's super cool. So I watched I watch the the potato jet one Mm -hmm. and he used a bunch of different versions of this. So like the 4d has a, you can, has like a screen thing with like controllers so you can, you know, move the gimbal piece around and control all the focus and everything from a handheld controller. So you can like mount this thing and then control the camera and do all your pans Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And so he combined that with a lot of different options of like, you know, maybe I mount this on a 10 foot pole and I can do this panning shot without having to have the person running the camera all the way up there. And then he mounted it in a in a car, like between the passenger and the driver. And you can do this like full 360 turn. And you know, he's able to control the camera remotely, and he can do this really cool mount thing. And it's like, well, why couldn't you just do that before? And it's because the camera is kind of big. Yeah. But when you take the the head of the camera off with the gimbal, it's like six pounds. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, you can get this really cool stabilized cinema stuff on. Things that you could normally do with like a mirrorless camera, yeah, because now it's six pounds, yeah, and so sure you have to like run this cable to you know a separated body, but it was, it was pretty neat.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of like sliders and stuff have a weight limit. And, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, or, or tripod even, you know, they, they have a weight limit. You have to pay more to get something with a higher weight limit. And so this might let you use some of that equipment that you mm-hmm. couldn't otherwise use. Yeah, that's
1: all pretty neat. I do like the idea of like having a having a bag or backpack or something. And you, like this cable runs out to your wand that has yeah. this new camera on the end of it. That sounds pretty neat.
0: I mean, honestly, it, it, in terms of physicality of, of running a camera for a long time, it sounds a lot better. You know, like if I think about being on a set, and running a camera for a couple of hours, I sure would rather have most of the weight in a backpack rather than holding it on my shoulder and my hands, whatever. So
1: yeah, I, I really like that a lot. I mean, what do you what do you think about the 40 just kind of in general?
0: You know, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, for one thing, I like that they're doing something different. And that was that was what really struck me when it came out. I mean, obviously, having a gimbal on the front of this thing is not something you normally see. And this thing with the flex cables kind of another example. There is actually another camera that did this before. One of Sony's Venice cameras has the same concept, but, you know, we don't really see it much. And with the gimbal aspect of it, it does feel like DJI is kind of breaking new ground. And so, I mean, kind of the first thing is that I just appreciate that they're trying new things and they're kind of trying to push stuff forward in a way that a lot of these other companies really don't. But I mean, overall, I think it looks great. If I was in the market to buy a video only camera, you know, like a cinema grade camera, I would honestly give the Ronin 4D a serious consideration, just because I think you can do some unique stuff with it that you can't do with a normal camera.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I mean, I'm looking at the specs here on the prices and stuff, and I didn't know that you could get this thing up to 8K. Apparently, yeah. they have two different sensor options in this, mm-hmm. and that's $6,800 versus uh, 11,500. Yeah, so which for something like this, you know, not crazy. This yeah. camera will shoot, you know, 6K ProRes RAW, Mm-hmm. It has built-in ND filters. Um, it's got the built-in stabilization. I think maybe some of your limitations might be the size of the lenses that you could put on it because of that built-in gimbal. Yeah. Uh, so that may be you know a little restricting for some people. But in general, like this can do a lot of cool stuff.
0: Yeah. I I kind of wonder if some of the limitations you may run into are in stuff like color management. Sure. Because it's it is still a little unusual. You know, you're not going to see as many people shooting on these if you're in a situation where you need like a camera operator who's not familiar with the camera, then they're probably not going to know how to use this compared to like, you know, an FX6 or a right. C70 or whatever. So I mean, there's some some things like that, but I think it's really cool. And like I said, if I was buying a cinema camera, I would probably consider yeah.
1: it. I mean, it has, it's got kind of like a specialized uses, right? It is a full frame sensor. Uh One thing I guess we didn't mention on was like the that laser autofocus depth mapping stuff. Yeah. I think that's really, really cool. Like you're going to be manually pulling focus on this mm-hmm. but it will give you like a top down depth map of your scene and so you can like see where your subject is and then use that as a guide to set yeah, your focus super cool that is really sick yeah i think you can even like electronically set you know like a focus pulls and stuff yeah using that system
0: yeah that's that's really neat I think it has their wireless system built into it. So they have their uh, DJI transmission that's a competitor to the Teradek. And I'm pretty sure the Run 4D just has that transmitter built in.
1: I think you're right about that. Yeah. It's, it's just like this really cool, very capable, if you just need everything in, you know, your one-man band mm-hmm. thing, you know, mount a camera somewhere. or Man. This... I mean, I,
0: I think that's what it is. I, I don't think that we're going to see very many Hollywood movies shot on this camera. It, it doesn't seem like it's made for well, that. Well,
1: not but... necessarily, like. Well, maybe not entirely, yeah. right? But there's probably certain shots that you could sure. get using this camera where you couldn't with something else. Yeah. And I'm still waiting for them to like take this whole thing and and, and slap it on a phantom. Yeah.
0: Is that the right word? <laughs> probably an inspire inspire, that inspire.
1: sorry. It. Slap it on an inspire and like there you go.
0: Yep. Yeah. But what I was gonna say though is I think that for people that are doing, you know, more run and gun type stuff. I mean, if you're shooting a music video or even somebody doing like a documentary or something like that. Having a camera like this just seems perfect because you get that gimbal yeah. built in. You're not spending any time trying to, you know, rig up some sort of stabilization thing. And all the features on it seem like it's well thought out. It seems like they actually talk to people that do cinema stuff and all the controls make sense and all that. And I mean, it's just I, I'm really impressed with that product. Yeah,
1: that's cool. They, they found a niche in there. They're working it.
0: Yep, And it's cool to see updates, too. I mean, it's not not a one and done that they just forgot about. Yeah. Pretty cool.
1: Do you think that this would have been a good option for the music video that we just
0: shot? <laughs> that's that's a good segue. I I mean honestly, yeah, I I do.
1: I would have loved to. So like I I did some shots like off the stage on some chairs. It would have been cool to have this thing mounted on a pole. Yeah, you could, you could like I like, could like moved into the crowd and
0: then up. Oh, and then, oh like, man, like had it panned down. That would look well, crazy. Well, you know how Lowa makes that probe lens. Yeah, and you can do some cool stuff with that. Like if you want to get a shot of like going into a bag or something. Yep. yeah. But if you think about it, this thing, if you were to put that gimbal on the end of a pole. It's mm-hmm. basically like a, <laughs> like a like, real life size, like yeah, <laughs> like a life size probe lens. Because yeah, you're right. Like if you had a circle of people, you could just like push this thing into the circle, and get a really cool shot. That's
1: what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Anyway, let's let's talk about this thing, man. So we we shot a, a music video. Won't go into any details as far as like what exactly, but a bunch of people and bunch of cameras. So we shot this on G's, the XT three, two XH two S's, and two sony a7 III's. so we had five cameras running
0: now we had we had more because we had a we had a third uh, a7 III it was also a handheld
1: oh yeah we did so three a7 III's two xh2s's and an x-t3 yeah Jeez. six cameras yeah and so then we shot the whole thing three times which means we had 22 total angles and this was all you know pre-recorded tracks everyone had the tracks in their ears so they were just they played it live but they were miming it yeah, And so then we were able to go back and sync all of those to the original track. Mm-hmm. And so we, we essentially had a 22 yeah. camera multicam yeah. to edit this thing.
0: And and I think it was probably one of the largest projects we've done. So we shot the TV show last fall and that was, right. that would, that was probably the most ambitious thing we've been a part of in terms of actual, you know, cinematography and gear and all that. But I think this was pretty close. to so just in terms of complexity of the shoot
1: and number of talents, and then also like just how quickly we were able to pull this whole thing together. That yeah, kind of cool.
0: Yeah, because we we heard about it about two weeks two weeks before we shot it, and you know in that time we had to figure out our location, figure out how we were going to light it, get all the equipment in place, get all the people there on the day, figure out the cameras. I mean, yeah, we got a lot done, and all in all, I think it went pretty well. Yeah,
1: honestly, like, because kind of on the side, I think that um, a lot of the work that we did for that TV show shoot uh, with like the set and managing people and all that stuff was uh, pretty translatable here and very helpful. Yeah. So like a lot of that soft skill of like, you know, learning how to light it making sure everything's prepped ahead of time, understanding where you're going to put people and like coordinating those people and
0: how they know when to start and stop and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You learn by doing, and we definitely learned stuff from the past. And I think we probably learned stuff during this shoot that yeah, we'll be able sure. to apply to future stuff as well.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how we lit it, what kind of gear we did, and then maybe talking about editing it, because I think that's that's maybe the most interesting part to me. Yeah. Because like, if you're going to shoot a music video, like one option is you have a gimbal on like one or two people, and then like you just go through it and like you plan everything out. You're like, these are my 15 shots, and we're just going to like shoot each of the things.
0: Yeah, like like it's scripted mm-hmm. almost. Yeah.
1: Um. The other way to do it is like, let's just set up all of our angles. We'll do it unscripted, and then we'll cut it together in post. Yeah,
0: which is what we did. Yeah, and so that's what we did,
1: and we just we shot it multiple times from all these different angles yep. and now we're, we're just working through it
0: yep so before we talk about the editing side though let's i guess cover what cover some of the uh you know the setup and the actual shoot so do you want to talk some about the lighting or
1: yeah let's talk about the lighting so we did two key lights essentially which ended up being more of like fill lights mm-hmm. original plan was we were going to light the scene with uh 5600k lanterns so we looked at using uh i think we ended up using an sl 60w godox and then a vl 150 godox video light yeah which both are the same white balance same manufacturer easy and we we're going to use those for our key lights and then we we're going to put some practicals in there and then have the fills be some panel lights and then would have uh we use the um 60x cob Amaran's for uh just for like fill basically yeah. not fill but more like practical lights so that we could get a lot of backlight yeah backlighting and that kind of you know fun look what we ended up finding out was whenever we put all the practical lights in there, which we used incandescent bulbs because they have higher CRI and, and that sort of thing.
0: No, nope, And they don't flicker.
1: And they don't flicker. Holy cow, we have way too much light. Yeah. Because this was like a dark looking shoot. Like we kind of wanted to be very moody and, mm-hmm. and a lot of backlighting. And, and it was like. We and could-
0: we were shooting in log. So we had to shoot at a pretty high ISO. Right, but, but we wanted to get low depth of field, mm-hmm. so high ISO, wide aperture, and then, yeah, we just had way too much light. It was
1: way too much light. We wanted, like, the fall off so that the room that we were in would just disappear into the black. And yeah. we're probably going to have to pull a lot of that down in editing, which is really weird because we were like, are we going to have enough light? Yep. mean we need more light. And it turns out the practicals were everything that we needed. They were basically, it was like pipes with uh, bulbs on them, and each one had maybe eight bulbs on it. I had to go through and like unscrew half of them because it was so bright.
0: Yeah. So it's basically like these steampunk looking lamps that had Edison bulbs in them. And all those challenges aside, it came out looking really cool.
1: Yeah. It looks incredible. And, you know, With all our worry about light, we put the VL150 at 15, 15% and mm-hmm. the 60 at 30%. Yeah, yeah. So we were shooting at whatever, like 30 watts at most for yeah. our two lights. And yeah. those keys basically turned into fills. And then uh, we had the other two newer, uh, those panel lights as fills. And yeah. I mean, basically all our lights were turned down to like 10%, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was really funny. But that was that was basically the lighting. I mean, we Worked did it really with well. six lights and practicals, and yeah. it looked really good.
0: One thing I think that goes along with the lighting is that we did have access to a, a haze machine. Yeah, boy. And we used that. And I, I think that that did work really well in tandem with that Moody lighting and with the way we had that. Because it, it just kind of makes the light spread a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it diffused the light. So even if you have pointed lights, it will, comes across softer. And then you can kind of get more of like light beam rays off of things. And man, it just gives you that that. The whole scene, this softer, interesting look.
0: I feel like it would be easy to overdo this, but it makes me want to have haze available for like everything we shoot. That's that's what I'm saying, (laughs) man. It's just going to make it better. Yeah, that added a lot to it. Yep,
1: I I feel like I need a haze machine. Everything in my house will be slimy because I'm just running haze all the time.
0: (laughs) I found that one that was like 18,000 CFM. I mean, I'm just saying.
1: It's so much, dude. (laughs) For context, your HVAC system in this normal-sized house is uh fifteen hundred CFM.
0: <laughs> so we're talking like ten times that? ten times as much yeah. air volume.
1: <laughs> oh boy. Anyway.
0: So the way we had our camera set up, we had two of the A seven threes on tripods. And that and, and since this was an unscripted shoot, those were kind of like our safe shots. So yeah. We knew who we needed to have, you know, the main, the main singers basically for this music video. We wanted them always in frames that we'd always have a safe shot. Mm -hmm. So we had those two set up for that.
1: Yep. And we framed the people around it. We're like, okay, here's our, here's our visual lane. Don't cross this too often. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And those, those were just simple on tripods. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything fancy. That worked out pretty
0: well. And then the other ones were all handheld. So we had the A7 III, the two two Ss handheld and the XT3 we had on the gimbal.
1: Yep. And then the, for the X-H2S, we had built those out into rigs, mm-hmm. you know, make them a little heavier, had batteries and monitors and that stuff on them.
0: Yeah, which I do think helped. I, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. I, I, was, I was a little worried it was going to get too heavy, you know, and I'd, I'd start having a hard time holding it up. But it wasn't that bad, and I do feel like it just makes the shots more stable. We we wanted to get that handheld look. We wanted a little bit of camera shake in it, and I, I think we achieved that.
1: And then I rigged the X-T3 up on uh, an rsc to gimbal, yep. and I really like using the X C three on that gimbal because because of the manual controls, like you can just reach up and like change your ISO or change your uh, your f stop yep. without having to like push buttons. The, mm. the screen controls just right there. This was the first time we've used that gimbal with the integral follow focus, mm-hmm. and so I rigged all that up. And that
0: worked out pretty good. And you kind of had to do that because Mm -hmm. for some reason, all the Fuji stuff does not work well on the gimbal with its... Because the gimbal has the ability to plug in a USB-C cable to the camera and Mm -hmm. then it can like electronically change the focus as you move the little dial, but just that that does not work
1: it's so bad and so janky i think that when using the follow focus we really got to put the monitor on there because yeah. the focus peaking on that little display and running it did not work well mm-hmm. and i think most of those gimbal shots are kind of out of focus yeah but it also kind of fits with the look of the thing and so we're gonna be able to use you know three seconds of those pieces of those gimbal shots yeah. and it's gonna look fine we,
0: we kind of lucked out on it but we'll know for next time that you need to be able to yeah. see
1: So definitely going to mount the monitor on it Mm -hmm. in future.
0: I really do like having a lightweight camera for the gimbal though, because in the past I have used it with, I don't think I ever really used it with the USR, but I had the GH5 with that Sigma 18 to 35 where that lens is enormous. And it just gets heavy to hold up after a while. So yeah, having sure. having a small camera with an APS-C lens is just perfect for a gimbal.
1: Yeah, More reason for Sony to finally come out with that uh, 8-7000 series. Uh, maybe replace the A6400 that's uh, ancient at this point.
0: Yeah, that, w- that would be a perfect gimbal camera. Let's see. Uh, anything else about the shoot itself?
1: Oh, man. I don't think so necessarily. I mean, we made sure we gray-carded all the cameras. Mm-hmm. We did scratch your audio and everything. Otherwise, I mean... One thing I'd say is,
0: is we had a clapper board that you bought for this year. And I think that unironically, a clapper board is a important purchase if you're doing this kind of work. Yeah, for sure. The main uses of it, if you're not familiar, one is that we wrote the take on it every time and we made sure that all the cameras were looking at the clapper board before the take. So it's an easy way to look at the clip and know whether it's take one or take four. Mm-hmm. Which is helpful when they all look the same.
1: And if you're doing anything narrative, uh, it's like you can write down the camera, the lens that's on it, the white balance setting, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and then the scene number, and be yeah. like, "Take whatever, clap." Yep. And now you're you've sunk audio, and you have all the information yep. right there. On and,
0: the... and you may think you will remember, but you will not remember. If you you're will not you're shooting remember. a lot of clips, and so that's super handy to have. And then you mentioned that the clap lets you sync audio. So again, if you have all the cameras look at it and then you do a clap, then you have both a visual cue and an audio cue. And so that gives you a really easy way to line up multiple shots.
1: Yeah. I don't think it like it doesn't replace using like time code and that sort of thing, sure. because even if you set all of your cameras and all of your audio perfectly to the same, you know, 23.97 whatever frame frame rate, and like they're all running around the same time. It doesn't matter. You're still going to get drift yep. on all everything. If and on a long enough shoot, you will always get drift. Yeah,
0: but if you're if you're doing something short, you know it, it it gets you where you need to be.
1: In this case, I don't think we really had drift on any of the clips at yeah. three minutes, so that's yeah. fine.
0: Yeah. It's not a, not a problem for how short these were. And then the other thing though, that maybe you wouldn't think about is that I think it just makes people take your shoot more seriously. It's the
1: matte box effect, man.
0: It it really is. I mean, some people see it and they're like, Oh, that's cute. Cool. But I think it also puts them in the right mindset where they think, you know, we're here to do a thing. We're going to take it seriously whenever, you know, somebody's holding it and telling me something like I'll listen to what they're saying and like, it's time to pay attention now. And I don't know. I, I think it has a tangible effect on how seriously people approach whatever you're doing.
1: I think the rhythm of it helps too. I mean, you can say, wave your arms and say, okay, guys, we're about to start. We're about to start. Everyone get ready. Is everybody ready? Are y'all ready? Okay. And action. i like, that can work, but like you pull out the clapperboard, everyone's like, okay, this is happening. You know, rolling, rolling, speed, speed, speeding, clap. Everyone's quiet. Yeah. Right. It's just... It's like the rhythm of it, of like going through those motions and like working on a set. I mean, it. I think it helps. It's yeah. just like one more of those pieces that makes it feel, you know, more professional, even if it's something as like simple as a music video. Yeah. So I mean,
0: definitely overkill for what we did. But it. it but I. I don't think it's overkill. I think I think fifteen or twenty bucks. It's a pretty easy sell for what you get out of it.
1: Okay, you convinced me. Yeah. Would do again.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're the one that bought it, so you were already convinced. I mean, I've been wanting one of these for a while, so I just needed <laughs> a
1: reason, and this was it. <laughs>
0: All right, let's talk about pulling in footage and editing, which right. I think maybe is maybe what people would be interested in.
1: You brought this in, set up the project, mm-hmm. and then you sent me the locations for all your stuff, and then I yep. mapped on my end because we're using DaVinci Resolve within the cloud, and this is just the best thing. I can't get over how great it is because usually, you're like, you're like I set up the project, we both have the same folder structure, and you're and then I go I go into the like I hit Shift nine to go in the project settings, and I'm like, here's Daniel's directory. And then I'll, I click on here and then I add my directory and then they match. And then all the footage is links.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. <sighs> it's amazing how well it works.
1: It's so good. And so you're like, you set up this project and then I can just go into it and make changes. Mm-hmm. And then the changes happening on your end. We don't even have to be in the same place.
0: Yeah. Sorry, yeah. that's not what we're talking
1: it, about. I'm just so pumped about it. It. Is,
0: it is It is super cool. And it's something that we just recently started doing and I already feel like I don't know how I live without this.
1: Oh, it's so good. That plus frame.io has just changed the way that we work on projects. Yeah. Because it's like, we can just collaborate continuously on something and like, I can make a few changes and then I'm like, oh man, I I can't jump into it to make that one change. And you're just like, oh, I'm right here. Boom, 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 done. So it's speeding up our workflow. Mm -hmm. And then we can export straight from Resolve into frame.io, send our clients a link and they're like, just click on the link and they can comment right there and they don't have to sign in and it just syncs into Resolve.
0: Yeah. Uh, They they don't have to download the video. This
1: is just, it's too good. Yeah. Like going from like using Final Cut and like exporting a video and like sending it on Google Drive and then sending us timestamps and, and like you can't help me because I'm working on it. And it's like, I'd have to give it. Oh, my gosh.
0: I can't. I, I literally can't imagine trying to do that on this project.
1: Oh, it would be a nightmare. It would be an yeah. absolute nightmare. The workflows in like Resolve 18 and like using this review tool has made this
0: exponentially easier. It's mind blowing just to like close your eyes and think about what if I had to use Final Cut to do this and how much harder it would be. Oh, geez. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Anyways, love it, love, yeah. love, love. So, what did you do to set this thing up?
0: So, I mean, pulling in the footage, pretty simple. We both had a copy of it before I built the project because we knew we didn't want to have to transfer. I think we had two hundred and forty gigs of video. And, yeah, you know, something we like that. Didn't want to send that over the internet. So, we both had a copy of it.
1: To underline what we did here, we brought two T7s, which are Samsung um, SSDs, and I copied from source to each drive. I didn't copy to a drive and then copy from one drive to the other. I copied from source twice yeah, yeah. that way we have a, ba- a double backup and we did that before we left the shoot which is so critical it's yeah. like make your copy as soon as you can make two copies always copy from source
0: yeah you know and don't send them with the same people yeah you know what if one of us had been in a car accident on the way home mm-hmm. you
1: know geez you can't underline how important that is. Even for a low stakes project like this, it's like,
0: do it right. First off, nothing is truly low stakes. You know, like it would have been a pain to have to reshoot this.
1: Well, yeah, that would we had like
0: 40 people. But the other, the other part of it is that you make these habits now when you do low stakes things. And that way, when you do high stakes things, you're already in the habit of doing it. You already know how to do it. And I mean, it's that's when it really matters. Yeah. Me, so. so anyways. Yeah. So we did that. I, yeah, I created the project and pulled in all the footage. We kind of went back and forth about how we wanted to actually set it up. Also, I added metadata to all the files. So just like what camera, what take it was. I tagged all of the shots where we use the gray cards so that we can just make a smart bin and resolve and search for gray card and they all come up, which is maybe going to be handy. Yeah, that's going to be great. And then the way we ended up deciding to do this. So we had four takes of this video and five or six cameras each time. We had a total of 22 camera angles of this thing. And it was the same song over and over. So all all twenty two of those cameras are watching the same song with the same track. And so what we settled on doing was doing a, a single multicam clip with all twenty two of those cameras in it.
1: Yeah, and this was opposed to doing four multicam clips with only the angles associated with. So we had like the same take four times. Yeah. And then trying to line those takes
0: up. Yeah.
1: And I think that what we did here was the right choice because it was a dub track, and so I mean I I think that. Our choice here on the twenty-two angles was mm-hmm. so right. Well,
0: because when you think about the workflow, it's like what do you what do you do once you create that? So we you know we make a timeline, we put the real audio track for the song in, you know, and put the mm-hmm. put the multicam in, and you know the way multicam works in all these editors is you basically can start playing through it and you can switch what angle is visible and it puts those cuts in the timeline. And when I think about it, if we had done this as four separate multicams, I don't know what that workflow would have looked like. I mean, I feel like it's like we would have cut it as though we only had one take. And then maybe we'd look at the other takes, try to find other clips and put them in. But it ended up being a lot easier to just have all of your possible angles. And, you know, you could go through it and pick from all 22 of those angles and find one that you wanted. If you want to go back later and switch it, it's not hard to switch it to a different one. It just seemed like that worked really well.
1: It was surprisingly easier to work through that than I thought it was. So I think in, it was a 17 or 18 resolve. They added the 5x5 multicam. It was 18. Yeah. 18. So like last year. But, you know, that's 25 angles, so you can Mm -hmm. see all your angles. And it's like, you just kind of, like, listen to this part of the song, and then you're like, man, I really want some drums in here. Okay, which of these clips have drums? And it's really only, like, maybe three, four, five clips. Then you kind of pick the one you like the most, and you just move on. And, like, you can set it to two by two or whatever and, like, page through them. And Mm -hmm. it was a lot easier than I thought it was to go through that many angles.
0: And I was actually surprised that Resolve was able to handle playing that back. I thought whenever you had the 5x5 five five visible, you know, we've got all 22 yep. angles on the screen. I thought even with proxies, there's just no way this is going to play back smoothly. But M1 Air did fine. No yeah, no trouble playing that back. Definitely
1: did fine. I don't even think we mentioned the proxies. So like we, we set everything up with the originals and then we both generated proxies on our end. Um, instead of doing a once and sharing, we could have shared the proxies, but whatever.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's two reasons we do that. One is because the computer probably can't play back the full res files smoothly, especially once you start adding effects. But the other is that, you know, this is a lot of footage. It says like 240 gigs of footage and neither of us want to have that much on our computer. We have other projects, we have other things on our machines. And so the proxies let us, you know, have a much smaller couple of gigs or whatever on the the machine itself. I think it's
1: like for this project or it's 200 and whatever, 50, 60, 70 gigs, the proxies are like 16 yeah. maybe. Yeah,
0: so it's a ridiculous improvement. It's like, you know yeah. what, like more than 90%. Yeah,
1: and then like when you're editing without the originals connected, whenever you have to like create optimized media, it's building it off the proxies. Mm. So like your whole workflow stuff is a lot smaller. Yeah. And then like whenever you get into doing like color grading and stuff where you need the full res, then you just plug in the, you yep. plug in your drive.
0: Yeah, so we're storing the originals on a T7 external SSD. And so you can edit without that in because you're just using the proxies that are local. But then, yeah, when you need it, you can just plug in that drive, restart, resolve, and then you've got it. We're
1: really happy with how all that worked. We were able to just line up all the audio based upon the original tracks so everything at scratch mm-hmm. on it for when they sang it live. And then... Uh, We just line it up and
0: everything lines up really, really well. It is worth pointing out that Resolve is not very good at syncing audio based on sound.
1: I think you're being favorable whenever you say that Resolve is not very good at syncing audio with sound. It's,
0: It's terrible at it.
1: It's so bad. It's like it has to be like the clouds have to align. And like sometimes I'll just be like sync audio and boop, it happens and it's perfect. But I would say that's like you know, one out of five times. Yeah. And then every other time I have to freaking line it up myself. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, because th- this feels like textbook example where it should have no trouble with it, right? It's like exactly the same track yeah. going into all these yeah. cameras. And it, it was nowhere close. Even on like the same take, I grabbed the Sony,
1: grabbed the Fuji. I like, sometimes you have to like bump the audio so that they're, it's loud enough. Yeah. I've had problems where like, I'm okay, I got to increase the gain here. Now I can sync it. Same take, two cameras, line of the audio. Nope, won't do it. Yeah. I'm like, this is literally the same audio <laughs> capture day at the exact same time
0: what the heck resolve has so many cool features. You know, they've got that AI vocal isolation thing. They've got some AI scaling stuff. They just really need to spend a little bit more time on this thing. Like
1: just like, like the masking in it and like all the AI neural engine stuff is really, really, really good. Yeah. And it's like, I can't believe how good at this is. Let me sync this audio. Oh wow. That, that totally failed. (laughs) It's it's frustrating. Yeah. Maybe,
0: uh, maybe resolve 19. will solve that one. I
1: mean like they're working, like it seems like they're working as fast as they can to make the software as good as it can be. And, It's gotten like just from 16 to to 18, like the last two years, it's gotten a lot better.
0: Makes me wonder what the next two years are going to hold. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, they're just, they're cranking it out. It feels like everyone's switching.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at on it. We've started doing our cutting. We're not, definitely not through with the project yet. We still haven't done our final cut of it final cut <laughs> and we have to do color grading and effects and all that stuff so i'm sure we're going to come back with some more thoughts from that because i think this is the biggest project we've done in resolve so far
1: yeah i would think so especially one that we're collaborating on
0: yeah but yeah.
1: like to, to give it scale though i mean and like this is different for different people but for us something like this 22 cams a five minute song just the cuts like don't think about the color grading don't think about any like the special effects stuff basically eight hours yeah, is kind of what we're like looking that. at and we're we're yeah. on track to hit that as far as like You know, if you're like, Man, how long is this how long would that even take if you had twenty triangles?
0: That's like an eight hour job, which is honestly less than I would have thought. You know, I I would think it'd be hard to do. And it really wasn't.
1: By the time we had like transitions and titles and um, make Steady Cam look Shaky Cam and Shaky Cam looks Cam, and then do all the coloring. I think the total project will probably end up being around 20, 24 hours. That's kind of what I have time. So, I mean, I I just kind of bring that up as like people who are getting into this sort of thing. They're like just starting to like sell video services or whatever. Here's an example, you know, five minute music video, bunch of multicams. The shoot itself, like setup was maybe two hours and then the shoot itself was four
0: hours like from the time like we had to
1: get there do all the setup according to all the people tear down. So, like, we're talking total, total project, maybe 30 hours with two people.
0: And, and, you know, to be fair, like, yeah, we had the two of us. We had other people at the shoot, but they weren't trained production people. It would have gone faster if we had had, you know, some people that knew what they were doing. And then, I mean, you and I have been editing videos for quite a while, but we're still pretty new at Resolve. And I know me in particular still feel like I'm pretty slow kind of working my way through the program. Right.
1: But I mean, if I was going to, like, you know, put together proposals or something for this, you know, hey, we need this whatever shoot, I would probably shoot them. 40 hours plus review review time. Did I say 40, 30 hours plus review time, so.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds about right.
1: Yeah, anyways, that's kind of a good baseline.
0: Yeah, and I'm really happy with how it's gone. Like we both said, you know, Resolve and Frame.io just feel like they've been critical for this. And it's, it's really cool to see that work out the way we imagined it mm-hmm. could.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to do more more stuff like this. I think we got a few things coming down the line, so. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, Daniel, do we have time for, uh, for one more topic?
0: <laughs> I don't think we have time for <laughs> oh it. Oh my today. gosh,
1: we're going to have to push this yeah. again? One more week. Oh boy, okay. Just so everybody knows, I released a YouTube video and we're going to talk about it. Never, just never. We're not <laughs> not going to get to it. Someone's going to release a camera next week, probably, uh, and probably. then like we're just not going to get to
0: it. We've had it on the on the schedule for a while now, but mm-hmm. I think we're just going to have to wait one more week.
1: Yeah, that's all right. I feel like I should do another uh, legendary lens next week. Mm-hmm. That might be a good idea. What what do I got on this my? Is
0: gonna list It's going to be here? a real Lucas focused episode next oh, week between I mean, uh, this um, YouTube video and whatever whatever legendary lens is. next. I
1: haven't done the research on that that Canon lens, but that could be a good one. Um, oh, I'll do this one. Uh, this The next legendary lens list lens is going to be entitled, They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Catch that next time on yeah, the Camera Gear yeah. Podcast.
0: Very compelling review there. I, I
1: have too much fun with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening, and we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.